What's up, buds? Welcome to another episode of the Earbuds Podcast. This is a podcast where me and my buddy Lucas yep. talk about one good album. Fucking yep. For a very good amount of time. Yes. I, as always, am your co-host, Brett Trader Joe Hanrahan. Mm-hmm. Join with me, as always, is Lucas Two Buck Chuck in Drakovs. Hey, Four Buck Chuck now. Four Buck Chuck inflation. Sorry, y'all. Back on my name, Brett. <laughs> That's why the fucking McChicken is like two bucks at McDonald's now. Is it really? Yep. It's, oh. it's off the dollar menu. The, world the is world's ending. coming crashing down. The world is ending. But look, today we're going to get our spirits back up. We're going to get a little bit sensual. Oh. And we're going to get pretty musical because we got a up-and-coming artist. <laughs> Underground. Who uh, I had never listened to before and I did not expect to ever hear. Uh, and that artist is D'Angelo. And the album we're talking about today is Black Messiah. I brought this album to the show, man. I really, I was surprised to hear that you had never heard D'Angelo, but uh, yeah, man, this is one of my favorite albums by him. He really doesn't miss. I mean, if you listen to anything by D'Angelo, it's all at the same level of artistry and musicianship, but there's just something about Black Messiah that I, it really, really stuck with me. It's very different for him. Uh, so I was excited to hear what you had to say, man. This album came out 14 years after his second record voodoo and crazy because he's been working on it since like 2002 and it came out in 2014 right and so to say that this record is like highly highly anticipated by a lot of people when it was coming out is is a major understatement and it won grammy of the year or grammy in in 2014 for like the best r&b album of the year people were liked about this record it's and it's so I have to keep reminding myself that it came out in 2014 instead of like 2000 or 2002, just because it's it's got like these R&B elements that it, it call back to that time. And it's also super funk influenced, yes. super uh, Sly and the Family Stone, super like Parliament, very funkadelic Parliament um, vibes on this. Like he was going for like a dirty murky funky soul record and i gotta say he fucking succeeded in that the first track is so funky and weird as hell in its composition it has the weirdest (laughs) guitar parts and bass parts and even the the layered vocals are strange in the Mm -hmm. way that they're composed and mixed and uh right off the bat when a friend of mine put this on while we were playing poker i think like when it came out and i just it blew me away immediately. I'd never really heard music like this before I heard this record. And I didn't really? listen to a lot of Parliament Funkadelic before this either. Sure. So, you know, prefacing it with with how fucking <laughs> I was to this to the genre, to be honest. But even even with such a heavy influence, he does kind of bring his own swagger to it. He brings his own he he's got this this weird vocal delivery where he seems a bit sheepish but also very yeah. turned on at the same time. <laughs> yeah, he kind of, uh, he does it really well where he's subdued a lot of the times on these songs. Like his vocals are a little understated. A little yeah. bit, man, when he belts it out, it makes it it's so much more impactful than if he had just done that for the whole track right. or for the whole well, album, you know? 
there's a dynamic range on this album for sure uh, yeah dude if, if this album is anything it's dynamics and textures and <laughs> layers i mean it's crazy looking into the history of this record i mean we can go into like some of his personal life stuff in a little bit but focusing on the music i mean this was almost 100 written and produced and played and performed by d'angelo himself like he's yeah. very heavily influenced yeah. by prince and a lot of these artists that pride themselves on being just like completely full-fledged well-rounded musicians and d'angelo like we were talking about it before the show that it could even be like a money saving thing the fact that he just decided <laughs> to play everything by himself and produce it all by himself i mean you know that's not to say that he didn't have some help i mean he you know he had some kind of underground artist that you know maybe you never heard of like q-tip yeah q-tip helped you know, uh quest love it, just like these is. little known people yeah i don't know who they are but it's cool that they that he let them be on this record you know <laughs> he's given them so much exposure <laughs> yeah you know? he is this was i mean this album was ranked like one of the best albums in 2014 when it was released the critics loved this record and it's interesting that the album that had come out before it was 14 years before this record he had a 14 year hiatus and it's a really interesting reasoning why and I, I didn't know this and we were actually listening to the track yeah uh i think it's called untitled right, right yeah it's untitled it. and there's something in brackets yeah and it's the video that it's ridiculously famous video of d'angelo i remember watching it when it came out and being very uncomfortable by it <laughs> because but, you weren't comfortable in yourself in your sexuality right that was, you could recognize that he's sexy as hell i was very video. confused yeah. um but yeah i mean <laughs> he he basically that video is the one that eventually gets down to like his cum gutters and you can <laughs> see he's just completely naked and it, you can almost see his dick and it's can get very uncomfortable but it's probably one of the sexiest music videos ever made and it put this weird sex symbol pressure on him and it made him so uncomfortable being put in that position and having people see him that way that he was he just struggled with it and he didn't know how to deal with being a sex symbol and it's it's a really interesting thing that it, it drove him away from from music for over a decade well because you would have thought that's what he was going for what is that sound Sorry, that was just some fucking. We got the loudest vehicles in the world here in Seattle on this street. Very proud of ourselves over here. Yeah, yeah. We have cars going through my neighborhood that set off car alarms at like two in the morning. I think people love doing that shit. Aye, aye, aye. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? We're talking about being a sex symbol, we, right? I want to know how you deal with being a sex symbol because uh, personally, I'm still, I'm still struggling. Um, as I said, I have about two dates, uh, this next week. Yeah, you can't, you can't fucking get him to leave you alone, uh, man. Yeah. You know, and it's just because I made a thirst post online. <laughs> uh, you're showing a little ball cleavage, <laughs> a little, a little begging, a little desperation. Please, please go out with me. Please, please touch me. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, um, I purposefully eat nothing but like Velveeta macaroni cheeseburgers to combat people trying to make me into right. simp sex symbol. So I, it works yeah. for me, Brad, maybe what, you want to give it a shot. I mean, what's your favorite stick that you like? To hit people, people, to bat people away with? Yeah, they had to bat people away with. I have this really nice, like two inch diameter bamboo stick 
that Ooh, uh, that's good it's it, great like kendo? Kendo uh, pretty much a kendo stick but it's it's just a full-on just bamboo stock and what's great is that you know when you hit people enough with it that you know they break off they have like the little segments right and you can but when they break those. off it's still i mean yeah you can use those to stab people but yeah really right. like when that piece breaks off that stick is still fucking solid just because a little piece broke off doesn't mean it's it's lost its integrity so yeah <laughs> I, I go with bamboo usually uh but <laughs> you know unlike d'angelo i didn't write three records with heavy heavy sex themes on it right and it's it you know it's kind of like it's kind of how i see fame and like i know people rely on you when you get famous uh and like for money and you're kind of a, a brand now you're kind of a company but like at any time this guy could have stopped writing songs about sex i feel <laughs> like <laughs> and so it's like it's weird to see yourself like when you make all these songs about sex and they're all so sensual and you have an entire video displaying literally just your naked body. I don't know what you were expecting, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just part of the artistry, man. It's like, uh, you know, people give a lot of female artists, a lot of shit for like showing skin and everything. And it's like, guys have been male artists have been doing that for decades and decades now, like using their, their sexuality as a, as a selling tool. Yeah, and sure. um, I think you just kind of realize how, the you can lose some of your humanity by doing that where people only see you as a walking dick versus this guy is a true artist you know and yeah right and especially it's the musicianship is a a good focus on on this album and i'm sure his other stuff as you said before and people just were kind of ignoring that in lieu of him being the sex symbol and that's where the main conflict came in Exactly. Like, I think, uh, you know, what's, it, it gets a little darker too. Like he had a, f- a friend of his, a really close friend that had um, committed suicide around that time. And because of that, like D'Angelo developed a, a drinking problem and he g- became kind of an alcoholic and he had all these plans for albums and these live records. And he had a plan for a tour that ended up getting scrapped because he was in really bad shape. And he got arrested for, uh, I think, like out, like driving drunk, and he had some drugs on him and everything. And they basically, Virgin, uh, his record label, just they cut off his funding for his next album that he was going to do. So the next for the next decade, he was trying to find himself again. And so he really wanted to play every single instrument on this record, like Prince and yeah, you know, other uh, artists in that kind of like fucking you know putting these people on a pedestal, like all these people at the very very top. And it's just, it's, I'm really, really impressed that he's credited with playing almost all the instruments on this record, except with a few tracks that have, uh, you know, strings and some people who wanted to jump in and play some percussion or uh, woodwinds and brass instruments and stuff. But he essentially wrote every bit of this record. Which is, I mean, that is, I think, objectively something you got to respect because this is a very layered album. There's a lot of, complex instrumental parts it's not like he's just playing the same notes on everything there's nothing based on this record where do you even start making Mm -hmm. songs like this i know i mean like the question i have i mean what we've we've already said it a few times but he was going for i mean the album has been described as like a parliament funkadelic meets the beatles meets prince with what they're saying like a (laughs) Jimi hendrix energy to it which i can really honestly totally hear on this record like 
it's funky and it's fun, but it's dark. It has this undertone of like struggle and this dirty grittiness that I love that you just don't yeah. hear in a lot of R&B music and especially in R&B production, which is usually so, so clean, you know? So it's like, it's, it, it really sets this apart from, you know, someone like an Usher or um, if we're talking about like new artists that are doing it like Saba or Sampha or any of these new kind of R&B guys out in there that are just like their, their yeah. production is so, so clean and beautiful. And there's, it's not taking away from it, but I love how raw and gritty this album is. Yeah. I, on my end, uh, we've just played, I'm listening to a thousand deaths and that if we're talking about gritty. Yeah, you know, dude, it's got these slightly distorted drums on it that are kind of aggressively happening the whole time. It's, it's like, an R&B song, but with some fucking heat behind it, with some fucking anger in your veins. Yeah, and it has this kind of like driving rhythm where the bass, yeah. and the drums are just working together so, so perfectly on that song. Like, the album is very eccentric. It's yes, very weird, <laughs> often. When you, when you have full 100% creative freedom to do whatever you want, it's going to get a little eccentric. Yeah, I you mean, know? he literally had no one holding him back here. He only had people that were seeing his vision and trying to make it come to fruition. You know what I mean? And, and I love, yeah. they just, they didn't feel like they had to be in a certain box, especially when you're thinking about R&B. And like, it's, the uh, there's so many weird songs on it. And that's kind of why I love it so much. And honestly, listening to this album, as many times as we did to get ready for the show, like, I, it made me think of Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, that, and that album came out two years after Black Messiah. And I got to, like, I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing here, but I got to think that Childish heard this record and he was like, holy fuck, I want to do something like that. And then he wrote Awaken. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's obviously Childish had other big influences in, in, the same genre and funk and soul and R&B. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's hard not to think that he listened to this album and he thought, damn, yeah, I think I can, I can take this on. I think I can take on this genre and do it in a way that is unique to me. Kind of yeah. like uh, Kendrick on, on T-Pab. Yes. I feel like T-Pab also had a lot of funk influence. Also maybe have been influenced by this album. So that was kind of my preface to this record before we started listening to it and why I wanted to bring it. I said that I kind of put it at the same level as to pimp a butterfly. And like <laughs> after listening to it, do you understand what I mean? I understand what you mean. Do you support I don't, me? In this? I don't support you ever. I know. But I know. that's my, that's a personal principle. Kind of like your fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand how you can draw parallels to T-Pad. I don't, it, I mean, T-Pab is a once-in-a-lifetime record. Like, True. I wouldn't... I would say Black Messiah is... You could say the same thing about it. I... There's no way you can say What that. else sounds like Black Messiah? Well, I mean, the two albums we just talked about. Which came out after this record. Sure, Both but they're still better. After. Yeah, I mean, you gotta <laughs> say, like, I'm sure Kendrick and Childish... And obviously, uh, D'Angelo, they were all, we've probably mentioned Parliament Funkadelic like five times already. They all are clearly influenced by these guys, but 
D'Angelo brought this sound back, this kind of analog funk soul sound back a full two yeah. years before Awaken My Love. And To Pip a Butterfly, I think, came out a year after this or something. So I don't know, man. I kind of, I, those are two albums that I consider classics in their genres. And so if you look at Black Messiah, it's like, yes, it won a Grammy, but how many people have heard To Pip a Butterfly versus this record? And I would say, like, this has to be in the queue for people to listen to if they loved either of those albums yeah for sure i completely agree on that and i i was completely disconnected from this artist i i'd never heard when this album came out or anything so i don't really know the general opinion on it these days yeah or even when it came out i don't know how many people were on it but it it does seem like it's had a big influence uh just in 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 that community i mean d'angelo's like i feel like it's it's patented for him i don't i i'm sure so many other people do this but his multi-harmony vocal work is just mm. so much to yeah in sometimes it's like almost overwhelming at times but because <laughs> the production and the mixing is so on point and it it's so easy to listen to because everything is layered so well despite how like raw it all sounds everything sounds so yeah. raw on this record yeah, I would say the the it it's never sounds like pretty or clean, but it is so cohesive at times. Yeah. Uh it, it just it just makes sense in the rawness, in the grittiness. I'd be just, so just bummed. Amplified. I'd be so bummed to find out that he did like auto-tune on any of his vocals on this track or on his on his i seriously doubt that i i highly <laughs> highly doubt it i mean like one of the things that stands out to me on the song like sugar daddy on like right around mm -hmm. the minute mark or maybe like a, a little bit after that where he does that like a shuba dooba 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 oh my god i love that part voices. so much ah, dude that part is just <laughs> that's what i mean like there's <laughs> it's almost like barbershop quartet sounding and it's yeah so many of those moments on this album that outside of the context of d'angelo and outside of like i'm just gonna call him d moving forward outside of d move doing that and the way i'll call him angelo yeah call him just yeah finish it for me uh d angelo thank you uh i feel like he just makes the fact that it's him doing it and doing it in his style makes it cool it doesn't make it cheesy because even like on really love that spanish guitar part I mean, how many, you know, R&B songs from the early 2000s are using Spanish guitar as like a little right. like, yeah, eh, you know, like it's, it, it got so cheesy and over and like played out, but the way that he does it is cool. There's something <laughs> about D'Angelo just makes everything fucking cool. Yeah. Well, it, if we can get into like the music of the album a little more, it seems like he kind of starts off on He'll, he'll like get a drum beat and he'll maybe get a bass. He wants to set up the vibe first. And that vibe will usually persist through the whole song. It doesn't change a lot. Yeah. But what he does and what I love about each song is that he'll just add in these little tiny parts of guitar or strings or synth yeah. that may appear like once or twice. And, and there are so many that each time you listen back, on these songs you're gonna notice something new if you're paying attention for sure you catch something and else it, that's what i mean with like even like think about the opening track which is probably one of the weirder bass and guitar parts on the whole record yeah 
it's so weird and it doesn't make any sense at first. But then once he comes in, his voice almost ties everything together. Like his voice is the bow that just kind of like wraps this whole thing up and makes it uh, a digestible, approachable uh, package. And it's just so impressive, man. Like the musicianship across the board on this album is incredible. And it's crazy that it's mostly him. <laughs> no, yeah, that's it's a, a fact that is hard to believe honestly yeah, it is and, and just kind of I, it's weird because i feel like the album goes through these highs and lows like i i feel like it starts really really strong ain't that easy a thousand deaths the charade the charade is almost a rock song at times like it almost feels like a rock song with these fuzzy guitars going really good bass lines all yeah. that harmony stuff these kind of random hits. I believe, I think Questlove, that's one of the songs he drums on is the right. charade and just like these weird kind of off rhythm snare hits that he's doing the whole time. Yeah. Questlove are, has this are super interesting. Questlove's like ghost notes that he can do on the drums are just mind blowing. <laughs> you just throw in it's, these slightest hits that just like, he does these fills that could just like go under the radar if you're not paying attention. Yeah. It's very, very Questlove. That's his whole thing. Yeah. And then like Sugar Daddy's almost like a bop. It just has this boppy beat, makes you want to dance. It's really simple drums and finger snaps, but because of the background vocals, it makes it feel really funky and soulful and fun. And I love how yeah. he'll have a lot of fun with his voice throughout the whole album too, where he'll just do these like crazy affected vocals at times that make it really fucking trippy. And there's the Parliament Funkadelic tie-in with everything too, like yeah. making it yeah. almost a psychedelic song sometimes. Yeah, there are a lot of, and there are a lot of like musical moments that are kind of psychedelic and, and a bit jammy. Like this would be, yeah. this would translate great on stage to like, maybe not so much a concert stage, but to like a street show. I feel like this would be yeah. great too, where you can just jam out. Yeah. And, and just random people can come on stage and like do some shit, add some shit to it. It does have a jammy be, feel to it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally there's a does. lot of jammy moments for being, yeah. I mean, he's always considered himself a great musician. Uh, and so he knows when he can let the music shine a little bit and when the vocals can take a backseat. That's true. Like he, his vocals are just another instrument in this music. And it's just another, yeah. it's another layer of complexity to the songwriting, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't feel the he doesn't feel like forced to always have a vocal part going. He'll allow a song to be two minutes of just instrument instrumentation and just like let you get into the group yeah. and he'll come in. You know, like songs like um uh, like Back to the Future, I feel like had just this very funky, chill vibe to it. And then you have like Betray My Heart, that's almost but Betray My Heart is like one of my favorite songs on the record. And it's so it feels so stripped down if you want to describe it that way but it's also so layered and has several different like quote-unquote moments that make it deceptively very composed and very textured but if you just sit there and listen and just like vibe and don't really pay attention it yeah. sounds like one of the simplest songs on the record but really it takes you in five or six different areas in five minutes yeah well, it kind of has this consistent drum beat and this consistent guitar, this funky guitar. But bang, but bang, dun, dun. But 
everything else in the music changes like constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have that walking bass line. Like, doo, 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 doo. Ugh, the bass on this album, dude. It's crazy. Don't even don't even get me started, boy. <laughs> well, just... dude, what were your I mean, you know, something that we like to do on every episode is we call out our two favorite songs on the record. We talk about mm-hmm. our honorable mentions. Uh, what was what's one of your favorite songs on this, dude? Because I the you set this up this whole episode before we even got into this. You were texting me because we try not to tell each other a lot going into these episodes. We don't want to steer the conversation in any specific way or have any preconceived notions about what we each thought of the record. But you said you were extremely conflicted about this record. I was, yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, if we want to get into that first, we can do sure. that or save it for the ratings. But I, it, it, this album is a lot of steady beats that are kind of the same with different instruments around it adding to that vibe right uh there's not there aren't really many dynamics within the music there are a lot of you know there will be some jams there will be some sweltering moments there will be some explosions but overall the vibe is kind of the same and usually that doesn't really that's that doesn't really do it for me but on this album there's enough going around that it keeps me interested uh, but the main thing I was kind of mad about. <laughs> when, oh, mad. Yeah, like, I don't know. It might not even be important enough to even talk about. But th- it, this is an album that comes out after a 14-year hiatus. One of the most anticipated albums of all time. He's oh. hyping it up. Yeah. They rush the production. They right. worked overnight for months to get this album out because of all this controversy that was going on and these police shootings yeah the album's called black messiah the cover is people's fists in you know a riot or a protest right and there are only two songs that are really political at all yeah i mean i think one of the things that he was doing if you take out the lyrical content is the way that the album was recorded and produced brought it back to the musicians of the 70s that were doing everything purely analog on tape and um and stood for something you know what i mean like if you're thinking about curtis mayfield and those types of artists back then that were extremely political extremely socially conscious uh he maybe he's not directly speaking to any of that stuff but it's the vibe and the sound of the music it's harking back to or harkening back to the era where artists were doing this a lot so i think music wise production wise um all of that was on point for the time that it came out and what he was trying to communicate but he does have some like pretty heavy lyrics on this like a lot of it is love songs and and heartbreak and stuff like that but there are some socially social commentary stuff about politics and war and corruption and all that no yeah i think they're definitely on a thousand deaths in the charade i feel like are the most politically charged songs yeah he he definitely gets deep in there and talking about his personal feelings on all the shit going on but i feel like it's I, i i understand that the music definitely harkens back to a time of protest and fighting against the system right but i think it's unfair to expect the viewer to feel that way about a type of music that was made 
30, 40 years ago. And right. to say all your songs are politically charged, but only have two of them be have like political lyrics in it. Right. I, I think it's um just it's it's confusing. It's to say. Okay. It might have been like a missed opportunity. He should have done a little bit more. I think I think he should have maybe branded the album a little differently. I I feel like it was I'm trying to find the word, but it was when you see the album, what you get is not what you expect at all. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's someone for it's it's a a student of music or someone who is really uh well aware or well educated on music of the time that he was trying to recreate that I think that's the that's the uh the undertone that's the sort of like the through line of it all is he's he wants to do what people back then were doing maybe not vocally or um as on the nose as some of those previous artists but I think like I said the the way that he made the record and the reason that he did it the way he did uh I think a lot of people connected with that when it came out I it's just I think I think it just might be a question of perspective and of personal yeah. belief because I personally don't feel like that is enough to justify saying that your album is so politically charged. Mm -hmm. I think the lyrics have to be a big part of it. But I I mean I I it'd be ridiculous of me to say that the music itself and the way it was recorded and why it was recorded. It didn't it bring to me back the, these kind of feelings of things I've seen in videos and on YouTube of uh, like Woodstock and uh, that video of uh, the revolution will not be televised and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I think some people called it out a little bit where like uh, someone said that he, basically what D'Angelo did on, on this record was that he revived soul music's quote unquote testifying spirit with an album that addresses the, the African-American experience at a time when there has been no musical response to the killing of unarmed black men by American policemen. So I think it's, it is that sort of um, like standing up for your people and maybe not, maybe it's, it could be also a celebration of life versus, you know, anger and, and, uh, rebellion and you know standing up for ver, standing up for your people versus standing against something you know what i mean so it could have been an album to give yeah. people a, a way to escape current things while also bringing i think there's just so that's that's what adds so many layers to this and it's like he as an artist like there's a lot of art that people just don't understand and this might this might be a piece of art that you don't fully understand the point but if you can appreciate it then that's all that really matters. You know, you don't have to get it. You just have to appreciate it. Sure. I, I, I can totally accept that. I, I probably don't get the point, but that's my perspective and that's my viewpoint. And I am just like a 26 year old white dude. So it would make sense. Right. I thought you were 27. You know? Uh, on the 18th, better get me a present. Oh yeah. Fuck me. All right. Well, before, <laughs> <laughs> before that, what are your uh what's one of your favorite songs on this uh one of my well i have a couple honorable mentions betray my heart as you said earlier 
love that song the door i think was yes. is like the catchiest one i caught myself whistling it just walking down the street are those whistles fucking harmonized or is that just me i think they are i think they're harmonized which is never ridiculous. heard that before yeah it's one of like the only happy sounding tracks on the record and i actually really liked it it had some cool southern vibes going to it yeah uh but my my first choice nug on this album is going to be the second track 1000 deaths yeah and i think you probably could have seen that coming yeah i i it's it's almost like uh is death grips a little too much of a comparison i i know what you're saying about you know it. what i mean it's, it has this yeah. dirty grittiness to it it has this dirty grittiness uh the start of it is a sample of some black panther leaders talking yeah. about how like jesus is not white <laughs> you know and yeah. uh it was from a, a movie the the death of the uh, death of fred hampton fred hampton thank you yeah the assassination of fred hampton because he was assassinated by like fbi agents because he was up and coming he was only i believe 22 or i think that's what the movie uh jesus and the black messiah is about yeah black messiah so, yeah. yeah it's all kind of connected there yeah which and i really so, want to see I, good. I the the message of the song that I reading kind of up on the history of Fred Hampton and that there was a person on the inside who for the rest of their life felt extreme regret for yeah. being involved and in that he died a thousand deaths while Fred Hampton uh, like a, a soldier for the people only only died once yeah I thought was very powerful and I, I loved the the fuzzy vocals. I loved the kind of in and out of the music. The delivery of what he's doing at the very start is interesting. It, it almost kind of sounds like he's like very glitched out. Yeah. It's and, super and jammy. Up to like his vocals at the end where he's just, oh, it's just ridiculous, man. Yeah. It's around, it's, it's a little before the five minute mark that everything just like explodes and it's such a cool jam. And, and, and so, I don't know, man, I, I guess that's why I'm a little mad because I kind of wanted this album to be a little more of that more and intense. expecting that from D'Angelo yeah. might be unfair, but as him putting it as the second song i was like i don't know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think there's definitely something that we're not fully getting um in the in the connection between you know what this record means for him and what it might mean for the culture and everything too but thousand sure. deaths is an incredible song and definitely one of my honorable mentions um i would say one of my easy easy one of my favorite songs on this is Betray My Heart. Yep, Betray My Heart, baby. Ah, man, I love the rhythm on that song. And the, the cross stick sounds so good on this one. It's just a, the cross stick sounds just the so cross good. Stick, yeah, that, the, the way the piano and the bass and the guitar are all working in conjunction with each other and playing off of each other. Even at one point, the guitar is kind of playing off of a, off of a trumpet. I think it's, it's like... It's, I think it's one of the, next to the door, it's one of the catchiest songs on the record. The way the yep. vocals like rise and fall with the harmonies and the way that D'Angelo gets, is isolated by himself and then multiple vocals come in to kind of like 
emphasize a certain word or a certain point that he's trying to make. I think it's so fucking effective. And again, man, it's like, you know, on a shallow level, it might seem like a, a very stripped down song. Cause it's just like, yeah. but then as the song, the song layers on as it goes, and there's so many different moments that it is an extremely textured piece of music. And the way that the guitar and the horns line up at times, is just so fucking juicy. Ugh, I, that, those that, horns. Those dude. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The, the production is incredible on this record and betray my heart is such a great example of that because it, it has the loud and the soft and everything in between. And it's just so airy and, and light of a song, but there's so much going on and it's so fucking catchy too. Like, yeah. So, and it's super jazzy, which is yes. a, like a nice addition to like the genre influence of this album. Yes, for sure. I think it, it fits in perfectly with the rest of the songs. Uh, and it's just, Oh, those horns coming in they don't even come in very like loudly or hard or no they're very they, like soft and yeah almost it, ramped up in their volume you know like it, it doesn't yeah. they don't hit you they're not punchy uh but goddamn, they're so good oh so tasty so tasty man and, you know my it was really hard for me to pick a second choice nug because pretty much every song on this record is an honorable mention for me yeah the only one that didn't really stick with me was uh prayer I like the music yeah. a lot, but it, you know, it was kind of trippy at times and everything, but it just didn't grab me like the other songs did. Sure. But the door was almost, almost an honorable, uh, almost a choice nug for me. I mean, back to the future part one and two, another life is a great, like super seventies soul song. I love that electric, uh, sitar in the background, like almost like a synth sitar. Mm. And it took me a while to realize that that's the sound I love in like so many songs like uh oh man the delphonics use the the this electric sitar sound on so many of their songs and i just like absolutely fucking love it but i had to go with really love really love yeah okay it's it's, it's the one that i mentioned before with the spanish guitar that could be kind of cheesy yeah but if that's d'angelo playing the classical guitar fucking color me even more impressed he played that <laughs> that's really really good classical guitar being played there and even if yeah. he didn't play it and just wrote that part, that's still ridiculous. It's it's still a great contribution to the song, and it I, it almost makes the song. It almost does, and it 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 has taken me out of so many R and B songs in the past, and it can sound so cheesy, but the way they do it here, they really pull it off. And I feel like D'Angelo's vocal part is really beautiful and very vulnerable. Um, I love the strings throughout the whole thing. This, the whole song yeah. is so chill. I really love that track, man. It's it's I'd say one of the more one of the slower songs. Yeah, it's very uh, sensual. It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but I love those drums come in and that guitar is playing. It just sets up a really a really nice vibe. Yeah, I think it's a great vibe. It's a great song for the middle of the record to kind of like bring you back down a little bit, kind of strip it down and and just yeah. like let you let you breathe for a second. Yeah. And it comes right after uh, my second nug. Which Ooh, is Sugar, Sugar Daddy. Daddy. Oh, man. I, I don't think you were. I don't know if you were going to expect me to pick that one. I was not. But that was very, very almost one of my choice nugs. Also, it's by far one of my favorite tracks on the record for sure. It's 
so bouncy, so catchy. Super boppy. It's got it's one it, I think it's definitely one of the funkiest songs on the album. And just the way that piano is bouncing. Yeah. The bass through that whole song. Oh, I think that might have been one of the uh like guest musicians that came on. Was oh, I believe the, it. I think a bassist on this song. And ugh, it's just yeah. so juicy, so sweet. And there's all these different instruments and elements that are doing seemingly completely different things, but it stays cohesive somehow. I, I don't, that's one of D'Angelo's talents for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. Q-Tip was one of the, he helped write uh, some of the lyrics for that song, but really, I think Pino Palladino played bass on it and he's, he's crazy, man. He's played with the who with John Mayer with nine inch nails. <laughs> he's he's all over the place he's an amazing studio musician and uh and then you have like james gadson who i think played drums on that song so like you have two guys who are legendary in the music you know in the musician world yeah on that track and it's it 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 made it i mean i hear so much parliament and funkadelic on that song love the horns the piano is really what makes the song for me oh yeah for sure the piano is the guiding voice of it it's the bass of the song I, I also just love, I hardly ever notice effects on instruments right? in like the reverb and the delay that they have on the horn sometimes is like so cool. It's like, a, it makes it a little psychedelic. Yeah, for and sure. It's just such a, such a cool touch, such a catchy song would be cheesy in most other people's hands, but D'Angelo exactly. somehow pulls it off. He's I don't know the, how. One of the coolest motherfuckers on the planet, dude. <laughs> him and outcast oh god <laughs> yeah just i mean just andre the coolest honestly. motherfuckers on the planet all right dude <laughs> let's get to it man i want to hear your rating this is all such right. a weird album for you and like you said you probably never would have heard it had i not brought it to the show so i am 100 certain i never would have heard this album and probably never listened to d'angelo i listened to his top wow. songs and his most popular songs and i really hadn't heard him before either wow yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because he like he was a kind of a big deal when Voodoo came out. Yeah. He was already um, new to that point. And so it, it, listening to this, I didn't know what to expect. You said T Pab. I definitely understood the T Pab vibes. Might have set it up for failure a little bit there, but sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I it's not like I was comparing it the whole time or anything like okay, that. Okay, good. Because <laughs> that's ridiculous. Two totally different types of music yeah um god just so funky so there's a lot of catchy parts it's the music is very interesting the whole time you always you always notice something new every time you listen to the album uh i i kind of voice my complaints about i guess the the main theme of the album mm. i recognize that i probably just don't understand it and maybe one day i'll learn today I don't have it. <laughs> sure, man. Um, and there are some, there are some tracks that didn't quite grab me, and and didn't really hold my attention the whole time. Uh, but a great piece of work, maybe not worth fourteen years of waiting <laughs> and twelve years of production. 
Yeah. But it's still still a, a damn good piece of work. And I'm gonna give it I I'm gonna give it like in I think eight is only fair. An eight point oh? An eight point oh. You almost say nine. No. Okay, I thought thought you were No, getting... it's <laughs> I almost I almost said like I was in the sevens range when we started. Right. But listening to the album and talking, I, I it's brought it up to an eight. Yeah, I mean an eight is solid, dude. That that's a, a great rating. And I'm gonna obviously be higher than that. But yep. yeah, man, I mean, this is definitely my favorite D'Angelo record because of how weird and eccentric it is. It's really funky. It's it's just really weird, but the composition is incredible and it's really, really impressive, especially after learning that he pretty much wrote all of it by himself and recorded it all of it recorded a lot of it by himself. I mean, that's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's funky. It's fun. It's dark. It's soulful. And it has this undertone of struggle and dirtiness and grittiness that I love. Uh, I mean, this production is sounds amazing on really good headphones. And, uh, and I think the big thing with R and B is that it's never had that grittiness and, and that darkness to it, uh, at least, you know, new late you know, current R and B. Uh, so this album just stands out to me in a really, really good way. I think it's, it's odd and I love it so much. And like I said, I mean, it's weird hearing this record and, and hearing how it could have potentially influenced other modern albums that I fucking absolutely love as well, like T-Pab and Awaken My Love. So yeah, yeah. that makes me appreciate all of it even more, um, just how whimsical he can be and how playful he can be, but how honest and dark he can be at the same time. I think it's, I think it's really, really impressive. And just like uh, just like Kendrick, how we were talking about on the, on uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, I mean, this guy is just an artist. This is just artistry uh, yeah. being displayed here. So, yeah, man, I, I got to give this like a nine point four. Wow, it's probably one of the highest ratings I've given of any album on our podcast so far. I would say so. I I couldn't really recall. I mean. Maybe RX Bandits, maybe Bright Light maybe. Social Hour. Yeah, for sure. Those are right up there, man. And I and I put this up there with them. I, but, I think uh D'Angelo really, really, really impressed me. Even when I heard this, you know, eight fucking years ago, which is when this album came out. Like that's still it stuck with me for the last eight years. And it's something I was so excited to listen to again, uh, with a purpose, you know. So <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Hey man, it's all good. You you brought I I don't know. I <laughs> I will say, I I did have a I did have a date last last night a couple nights ago. Put this on, and uh, maybe uh, D'Angelo was a part of it. Oh, maybe D'Angelo stopped in, said hi. Dude, I need a shirt that is just like a print of his torso, <laughs> and I'll just wear that shirt anytime Christina is around, and I'll just be like, I'm not taking this shirt off. <laughs> while we're having sex like this is what you're gonna see well why would she want you to take the shirt off exactly really? yeah exactly <laughs> and it makes you perform better too it does it, it i mean I'm, I'm my voice is incredible while i'm working <laughs> <laughs> my vocal range goes up at least two octaves <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening you can check us out on youtube you can check us out anywhere you find your podcast we're on instagram ebp cast earbuds podcast yeah. you can find lucas on 
John Luke Guitard on Instagram. You can find me at Brett Hanrahan with a hundred thousand T's. Yeah, for some reason. Uh, and tell us what y'all thought of this album. I, I'm I'm curious to see kind of like what the general public these days feels about this. Yeah, I think this album could be uh, timeless. So, buddies, please tell us what you guys think about this record. We're so, so curious. Uh, leave it in a comment. Leave it on our Instagram or our YouTube, wherever you guys are listening to this. Uh, and thank you so much for listening, guys. Like, what albums do you guys want us to cover on this podcast? We are here for you. We're also extremely self-indulgent. So we're going to be we're also here talking. for us. We're also here for us. So we're going to be talking about a whole <laughs> bunch of the shit that we want to talk about, but we're, we have at least a, a 10 or 12 records that have been suggested to us by listeners that we are definitely going to check out. So keep sending us recommendations. Thank you so much for listening. Brett, what would you, uh, what would you rate this episode? Man, I'm going to rate this episode a 1000 out of 10. Damn. Yeah, that's good. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to do the exact same rating. Damn. Which I think you copied me. I think you saw my notes. I might have got a little peek over there. Might have yeah. wanted to steal the glory. Yeah. But well, you threw the ball in my court. So uh, whose fault is it really? Thanks, buddies. Listen to us. Tell your friends to listen to us. And we will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.